The message I've got today is kind of a companion message to the one that I gave last time we were here, which was back about two months ago in uh, August. I think like August 18th or so. And uh, it's got three of the, we'll touch on three of the same scriptures. But uh, I'm excited about giving it, and I, and I always am, because it's just like that song that I think the last song we sang uh uh, about sharing God's word because that's what that's what I get to do is to, God's word is exciting and it's exciting to share it with, with others. Uh, Larry Watkins in Tyler back I think it was in early February gave a sermon about healing. It was just an excellent sermon, and he asked a profound question. The question was: Did Jesus Christ realize each time he healed someone that he personally was going to have to pay the price for that healing? And I never really thought of it like that before. But you know, we'll re- we'll read some scriptures which uh, at least kind of touches on that. But I thought it was a rather profound question. So what I what we're going to discuss today is healing, but from a different perspective. <clears throat> I've got four points. The first three points are a foundation for the fourth point, which is my main point. Point number one is, why is it that we can be healed? So let's, uh, let's read a couple scriptures as to why that is. Let's turn to Isaiah <clears throat> chapter 53. And uh, I'm pretty sure that there's a lot more healing that goes on today than, than what we realize. And we need, to, we need to do a better and more thorough job about sharing those healings with other people, you know, when, and just sharing God's miraculous uh, or miracles in general with other people. And by the way, I'm really happy to see Varney here today. I haven't got a chance to talk to him yet, but looking forward to talking to him afterwards. Okay, Isaiah chapter 53, we'll read verses 4 through 6. This is a prophecy that God had Isaiah give uh, about Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, starting verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Which touches on the the question, the profound question that Mr. Larry Watkins posed was, did Christ realize he was going to have to pay for each healing? Verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's turn to the New Testament now and and read uh, a scripture about the same thing. Why it is that we have healing available today? First, let's turn to First Peter chapter two, verses twenty three through twenty five. I mean, verse First Peter two, verses twenty three through twenty five. First Peter two twenty three. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, 
might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. <clears throat> if you look up uh, this word healed, uh, it's I, I've got two words written down here out of uh, Strong's concordance with the number. The first one, the first one is Strong's number seventy four ninety five, and that word healed, translated healed, means mend, cure, or make whole. And then Strong's word number twenty three twenty three means relieve of disease, cure, heal, or worship. So it means basically what it th- what you think it means when you read through there when you re- read the word healed. <clears throat> And in the New Testament, again, point number two is examples of Christ's healing. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. As as we read here, we'll discover that, that Christ healed a lot of people. He didn't just heal one or two or three people. He healed a lot of people. Matthew 14, 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. And that's an important thing, that word compassion. Compassion is a really big deal. And that's something we should all have. When we see somebody going through something, we should make sure that we have compassion for them. And uh, there's a scripture, I meant to write it down, it's in... I forget whether it's First or Second Corinthians, and it makes the point that we go through things, in, at least in part, for one reason, so that we can help others later that go through that. Once we've experienced a trial, then we get it. You know, if we haven't gone through that trial, we may not get it. But once we do, we can get it pretty deep inside and see we see what that person's going through, and it's my job to to help that person, which is. Which is a part of the reason that we had the trial to begin with. Okay, let's turn to, to uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 18 now. And I love this scripture. And this is Jesus Christ when he got up in the synagogue to read. He, re- he, he was quoting from, from Isaiah. But let's, let's turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Then we'll, we'll turn to Isaiah and read what he was, what he was quoting from. <clears throat> Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You've got to love that, because we've all been brokenhearted at times. And, and when we see somebody else, we actually... It shouldn't be so much when we see somebody, as we should be watching for people that are brokenhearted and do what we can to help that broken-hearted person. He has sent me to heal the broken-hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. <clears throat> like, for example, where it says, proclaim liberty to the captives. Okay, okay I, can, I can identify with the broken-hearted. The, the next line, to proclaim liberty to the captives... I don't identify with that as well because I don't recall ever being captive. 
I think my brothers locked me in something one time. <laughs> but, but if I were to go through captivity, that would mean a lot to me. And, and I, would be, I would be on the watch for people that have been through that, that I could help. I'm not saying I can't help them anyway, but my point is, when, once we go through something, that's kind of like uh, God tapping us on the shoulder and say, hey, you be watching for people like this so you can help them. I was, uh, I hardly ever watch TV anymore, and uh, there's too much hate and stuff going on there on the news. I'm just like, I'm not going to start my day out like that, and I'm not going to end it like that. Uh, there's good things I can read, like this Bible, or I can get on YouTube and watch how to learn how to do things on YouTube. Well, <clears throat> YouTube kind of, you know, they kind of, it detects what you want to see and so it, you know it puts them up in a queue and uh, there's this one that came up this guy he has a YouTube channel it's really interesting he's a pretty pretty interesting guy I think he's in his 70s <clears throat> and him and his wife retired to Mexico to Ajijic, Mexico which is uh, just a little ways I think south of Guadalajara and there's a, there's a lot of U.S. They called patriots or expatriates that live that have retired in the Guadalajara area, and anyway, in, in his video, it shows scenes of you know what life is like there in Mexico. And uh, my wife and I used to go down to Mexico a lot, and we've traveled all over Mexico, not all over it, but a big part of it. And uh, I used to rent a car, and we'd just take off driving around. But with all the stuff that goes down there, goes on down there anymore, I we went six years ago. Yeah, in 2012, us and our kids and grandkids went to Puerto Vallarta for the feast. And the main reason I went was because I was concerned about their safety. But, uh, you know, apparently there are safe places to go down there. I'd, I'd want to check it out real thoroughly before I went. But anyway, my point is, in this video, he showed life in, in Ajijic, Mexico. And it just, my impression was it just seemed so millennial. There were kids out playing in the street. I mean, it showed the downtown area, which was, was it showed the cobblestone street, but there were no cards on it. It was people walking, you know, on, on foot. It just... I'm sure they have their problems down there too, but the scene really left an impression in my mind of what a millennial looking setting. And it's, you know, we can look forward to when it truly is peaceful like that. But let's turn to Isaiah chapter 61 and we'll read verses 1 through 3. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. And this is what Christ was quoting from when he stood up in the synagogue. <coughs> Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to pro proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the, the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. That's something we can all do. To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. That's what God wants to do. Our loving Heavenly Father, He's not this mean old ogre that's just watching for us to mess up one more time so He can squish us. That's, that's not God. That might be Satan, but that's not, that's not our God. Our God wants to give us beauty for ashes. When we go through something, He wants to bring us out twice as good as we were before, just like He did with Job. <clears throat> 
to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Let's turn to Mark chapter 6 right now, verse 56. I've got several scriptures here at the beginning, and then I may share uh, some stories with you, two or three stories. If you get tired of my stories, tell me, hey, I don't want to hear any more stories. (laughs) But to to me, I... You know, I've, just like you probably, I've, I've, I've listened to a lot of messages, and it's nothing but scripture after scripture after scripture. But the best I can tell, Jesus Christ, he knew, he knew, he knew the scripture at that time, which was the Old Testament, but he brought it to life. He told stories and parables, and he made it relative to life then, and, and to life now. But after so many scriptures, I think most people just tune out, and I'll get down, I do this, I, I, can, I can look at my notebook, and uh, I'll start counting after about 20 scriptures, I'll count up and see how many there were, and then 30 scriptures, and I'm like, and, most, and, I, and I just want to stand, you know, stand up and say, is, is uh, anybody getting anything out of this? Because I think most people have zoned out after a period of time. So anyway, I may, I may share a story or two or three. Okay, Mark chapter 6, verse 56. Whenever he entered, this is talking about Jesus Christ. Whenever he entered into the villa, into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. And there's so many other examples in the New Testament of Christ healing people. And then uh, while uh, we're right next to Matthew, let's turn to Matthew chapter 10, and we'll read verses 1 through 3 and 7 through 9. Matthew 10, starting in verse 1. This is about a responsibility that Jesus Christ, our Savior, gave to the apostles or disciples. Matthew 10, starting in verse 1. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And then Jesus Christ went on to say that those who believe in him will go on to do greater works than what he did when he he went to be with his father. So let's turn to John chapter 14. We'll read verses 12 through 13. John 14, 12, and 13. Starting in verse 12, Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
the one of the, one of the prerequisites to that is it says he who believes on me and th there's there's a lot to that it's not just saying you know one time deal somebody meets you in the subway and and you believe in Jesus do you profess Jesus yes I do and then you go about the rest of your life just like the first part of your life that's not the deal if we believe on Jesus Christ and we do what Jesus Christ said to do and I'm thinking if we don't do what he said to do then we don't believe on him <clears throat> Let's turn to Isaiah 58, chapter 58, for the next passage. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 58, 6 through 12. I love this passage, too. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 58, starting verse 6. The, the title in my Bible on this section is, Fasting That Pleases God. And, and this, <clears throat> this tells about... This passage is about Israel was upset with God because they had fasted. They, they said, why have we fasted and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Well, here's God's answer, starting verse 6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen, says God, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning. <clears throat> and I'll uh, mention a couple things here. Uh, this, the first, first couple of verses here reminds me a lot of Malachi 6, 8. When, when God sent a message uh, to Israel to I'm trying to remember the, the three things is walk do justly love mercy and walk humbly before your God this is the same theme right here and I've, it's easy sometimes we get used to reading something in the Bible and we can just read right over it but down here the last line in verse 8 or 7 says and hide not yourself from your own flesh I think there's a lot to that. Uh, and what I get out of that is make sure you spend time with your children and your grandchildren. You know, don't, don't just get so busy doing all these other things and doing things for other people that you neglect your own family. So uh, continuing back in verse 8, Then your light shall shine, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And which, you know, that too, you know, we could just read over that easily and not even understand what it's talking about. But I find it fascinating that here it says the Lord shall be your rear guard. There's other places in the Bible where it talks about that God goes before us when we're going through a trial, you know. My plan for me is always, okay, here's the trial. I want to go around the trial. That's not always my life experience and probably yours too tells you that that's not always God's plan. God's plan a lot of times, just like with ancient Israel going through the Red Sea, a lot of times we go through the trial. But he's not just pushing us into the trial and saying, okay, go through this trial. No, he leads us through the trial. He's in front of us. And he's, we just read that he's our rear guard. 
And then there's other scriptures that say he flanks us on both sides. So God has us surrounded as we go through the trial. We just have to trust him. Continuing on in verse 9, You shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continuously. Again, as we're going through the trial, he's guiding us. And satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall rise up, raise up the foundations of many generations. And that too would be easy just to read through. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. Uh, I'll share with you what a part of my daily prayer is for our family is, and this is a really tall order, that Linda and I be a godly patriarch and matriarch for our family, for our children and grandchildren and future generations. And a part of my daily prayer is always that our children, us, our children, our grandchildren, future, future great-grandchildren will always walk with God and all the future generations will always walk with God throughout eternity. And I, I think we need to all keep that in mind for with our with our families and whether or not they're called right now uh, still the same thing you know God may choose to go ahead and call them right now if he hasn't or maybe maybe if they used to attend but don't attend anymore you know God's God is the one that knows where everybody is at on their journey our job is to do our responsibility and then God will do his responsibility Continuing on the last verse in that passage. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Point number three is Christ is judging us today. My wife and I have goats, which reminds me on the way over here, uh, we've gotten on on I-20 over... Uh, we were, I don't know, over around Longview somewhere. And way off on the highway right away, there was this little goat out there. I guess he'd got, obviously gotten through the fence. But this beautiful little goat, he was, he reminded me of a belted Galloway cow, if you know what that is. It's got a white, big, broad white belt all the way around its midsection. <clears throat> this, this little goat, I don't know if it's a miniature or, or baby goat, it was about that tall had a broad white belt all the way around its midsection. Then from there back, its rear end was like a chocolate brown color. No, no, was was a tan color. And then from, from the white belt on up, the rest of it was like a chocolate brown color. It's a really unique looking goat. But we love goats. But we're, let's, let's turn to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46. We'll read this passage. We don't want to be the goat in this passage. We want to be the sheep. And we uh, scanned through this passage last time when we were here, but this is extremely important. And uh, I think we'll probably just read through this passage this time. 
Matthew chapter 25, starting verse 31. It's about the son, the title in my Bible says, The Son of Man Will Judge the Nations. Starting Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did, didn't, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick, or in prison and come to you? Verse 40, And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. <clears throat> I gave an example last time we were here of, of uh, the pastor in another organization of our daughter's mother-in-law who was dying of cancer and died of cancer. We want to be the people that did all these things for others, which is doing them for Jesus Christ. We don't want to be the guy or the person that saw it and failed to do it because we were too busy doing something else, just like the example of the Good Samaritan and the Levite and the priest that passed him up. We want, we want to be the ones that, we want to be the sheep that Jesus Christ just discussed here. <clears throat> Continuing on, verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was thirsty, or I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also appear to him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and not minister to you? <clears throat> then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did, it, did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And then let's uh, turn over to Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 34. <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 34. This is, uh, Ezekiel chapter 34 is a pretty, pretty interesting uh, chapter. And as I think back over the decades, I realized that the church organization that I grew up in did not turn to that, did not read that chapter very often. There may have been a reason. I, 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 it's, it's interesting. I can look at my Bible. This is a newer Bible, 
but uh, it occurred to me several years ago that the pages were coming loose in some places. Some page, places they were sticking out quite noticeably, other places sticking out a little bit. So I turned to those places. It was interesting to see where where I had read out of my Bible the most. It was different places like Matthew 24 and, and other places, but Ezekiel 34 was not sticking out. <laughs> so let's read it. He's talking to, this is a warning to the shepherds. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away. And over the decades there have been Numerous people, sad to say, probably a lot of people that for various wrong reasons were driven away that, that used to attend. And I'm, please understand, I'm not, I'm not talking about CGI. But we, we've been attending CGI uh, about, about four years. But I'm talking about other, other organizations who, you know, they have good messages too. Uh, but, you know, we all have our shortcomings. But there have been a lot of people that have been driven away. And just kind of used up and thrown away. And that's, that's pretty sad. It should not be that way. We should be the ones going back to bring them back. And, and I've written a number of letters uh, to another organization. And, you know, you know someone that just want to grow so bad they can taste it. But, like I have suggested that, you know, maybe if you would treat people right and not throw them out and leave them for dead, but went back to those people and apologized and say, I'm sorry, and, you know, give me another chance and we'll treat you right, and then do that, then treat them right, maybe there would be growth. Just, just a thought. But this is something that we could do is... Uh, I'm going to start at verse 4 again. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. Again, the same thing I've talked about. But with force and cruelty, you have ruled them. So, to get to my fourth point, which is my main point, how can we, you and I, bring healing to other people? You know, Almighty God and Jesus Christ are the healers. But, there's a big but there, we can be Jesus Christ's hands and feet. He loves to heal people. And when we see somebody that's, that's hurting or going through something, especially if it's something that we've been through ourselves, we need to be that person to step up to them and provide whatever is needed within our resources and capabilities. So point number four, how can we bring healing to people today? As I said, God is the healer. But we need to ask him to help us, use us to heal other people in whatever way he might might choose. And in doing so, we need to strengthen our relationship with God. And we should ask God daily to bring people across our path that day that he would like us to help. You know, it, it reminds me of on the way back from the feast, Linda and I went to, and our friends Wayne and Joanne went to Rapid City, South Dakota for the feast. On the way back, we stopped at a Mexican restaurant. We were surprised to find one someplace still open. I think they were open till 10. And so anyway, thankfully they were still open. And the waitress... She was a really good waitress, but I was, I was kind of confused about her because she was fairly light-complected, 
but she didn't speak good English and she spoke Spanish and so we ate and you know we talked to her a little bit and then eventually one of us asked her where she was from and she was from Venezuela and she was telling us everything she had gone through to get to the United States and she she got her you know she came legally and I'm trying to remember I think she said it cost about two thousand dollars for the was, was that for the airfare hun she mentioned that she's trying to get more of her family back up here because I mean up here because the political climate there in Venezuela is just horrible and so she's trying to she's working hard and saving her money but you know there's people like that that God brings across our paths that we should be in tune and and not just kind of blow it off but we that should get us thinking what can we do to help this situation you know we can't do everything but we can all do something So we should ask God with our daily prayer, asking God to bring people across our path that that we can be a positive influence on and help. We need to ask God to show us how we can best help them and bring healing to them. And we need, need to meditate on the details of how we might best do that. Okay, and here's a word of caution is... As I'm sure I've mentioned here before, there's a huge difference like from east to west between helping someone and enabling someone. We never want to enable people. Enabling can actually kill people. It's basically we don't want to do for someone else what they could and should be doing for themselves. And if 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 someone is doing everything they can for themselves and they're still coming up short, that's where we should step in and do what we can to help them. And I'll give you, you know, I, th- I think fairly often about different things that the public school should be teaching. And I'm, I'm, I realize I'm out of the loop. Our daughter came home uh, from out of state about five weeks ago to go to her 20th high school graduation reunion which kind of blows my mind that she's old enough to go her to her 20th reunion uh, thankfully Linda and I have not gotten any older so we've got that going for us <laughs> good but Tiffany came home for her 20th uh, anniversary of her 20th year of graduation and just a few weeks before that, I have a nephew who was three days older than Tiffany, and he was enabled his whole life. This, the point I was making with that is I'm, I'm out of the loop as far as what goes on in the schools, but I, it wasn't real good when our kids were in high school, and I doubt that it's gotten any better. But this should be a required course to graduate from high school, a course in enabling. And I'll give you a textbook case here real close to home for us. I had a nephew that had been enabled his whole life. And my brother, his, his father, my oldest brother, uh, recently found out he has leukemia. And so I, <clears throat> I go drive about 45 miles north to north of the Lake of the Pines, pick up my brother Larry, 
uh, take him to the oncologist, which I'm going to be doing Monday, back, back down in Longview, which is an all-day treatment, and then take him back home about 45 minutes or an hour, and then, then back to my house. Uh, well, his son, who lived on his property, uh, he'd called him several times and not been able to get a hold of him. And he had been able, like I said, for his whole life, and he, he came up with all these stories that were not true about why he needed money. And he would take that money and he'd buy drugs with it. Well, when we got back to, to my brother's house, He apparently, his trailer, he had a little trailer he lived in, was locked from the inside. Which meant, it was a pretty sure thing, he's in there, but we couldn't get a hold of him. So, my brother had me get a wrecking bar, and eventually I was able to get the door pried open, and my nephew was laying in there dead. All because of being enabled his whole life. Don't enable people. Help people. Pray, pray to God for discernment, whether they need help or whether that would be enabling. Uh, but don't enable people. But please do help people that need the help. And I'm, I'm glad for him. You know, I thought about it a lot. And I'm glad, really glad and grateful that he gets a do-over. That, you know, eventually he will be resurrected and he'll get a do-over and he will not be enabled that time. But he'll have a lot better shot at life. <clears throat> so what we do want to do is to help those in need. And it might be in the form of, you know, everyone needs love. And we, we have a book, uh, a little book that uh, one of our friends, Wayne and Joanne, bought for us. And the title of it is Love is a Verb. And I, I looked it up in the dictionary. I think love is not really a verb. But on the other hand, if it's not, it's just an empty, hollow thing to say. We don't want to just say, I love you, and then just leave it at that because that's not love. That's just some platitude. I think we've gone from one ditch to the other. When I was a kid, I very seldom used the word, heard the word love used. But now we hear it a lot. But when I was a kid, like my parents showed that they loved us by their actions, by providing for us and, and trying to steer us in the right direction and that type of thing. Now it seems like society's in the other ditch where we hear the word love frequently, but it's often not backed up with the actions. What we need is both. We need, we need to express our love for others, and then we need to show that love and prove that love by our actions for that person. Something else we can do is praying fervently for, for others in their situation. You know, we can, we can take them food if they need food, or we can give them clothes if they need clothes. We can care for them if they're sick. Uh, maybe if someone, this is one thing that Jesus Christ mentioned in Matthew 25, if someone needs a place to stay, uh, we can give them a place to stay. But a warning there, we, again, we want to make sure we're, we're serving the need, not enabling someone. Because there's plenty of people out there that, that just want a, want a free bed and live in your house and mooch off of you. I'm not talking about that guy. I've known that guy, but I'm not talking about him. Uh, and we only want to do that as, as is appropriate. You know, if it's a single lady and it's, it's a man, that's probably not appropriate. Uh, but, you know, just use wisdom and, and do what's appropriate. 
you know maybe we can take take people to the doctor or if they're sick clean their house or mow their yard a big thing we can do is to edify them and encourage them and be a friend to them and uh, which reminds me of the expression that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care The worst pain I have ever felt personally, the third worst pain I've ever felt personally is 26 years ago I got burnt pretty badly. Not as bad as some people get burnt, but it was bad enough. It was was a gasoline explosion and it burnt the skin off some of my fingers, burnt my arms, burnt my face and my ears. Uh, They took me to the ER and the plastic surgeon spent time cutting skin off my fingers that was hanging down kind of like when you cook a chicken and the skin just hangs down off of it it was like that that was my third worst most painful experience and I keep an eye out for people that have that have had burns and I realize that I know what that's like and uh, I should be the one there helping them second worst pain I've ever been through was an abscessed tooth back in 1982 I guess it was and it was before the feast I had this wherever it is I had this abscess this this tooth that had been hurting and the feast is approaching and I'm trying to hurry and get all my work done to go to the feast and you know getting personal things ready at home and I never did get the the tooth taken care of plus money was was tight too and then we we were going to Acapulco, and so we drove from from Longview down to Houston to the airport to fly to Acapulco. Well, on the drive down, our kids were like three and four, something like that. On the drive down to Houston, I realized, oh man, my tooth is hurting. This is not good. <laughs> and it didn't get any better. So, you know, got to the airport, flew to Acapulco, got down there, and that is the second worst pain I've ever had. It felt like somebody just driving a piece of rebar down through my head down at, and, and through my neck. And actually, Tiffany was, I think she was about four years old then, and we stayed at what used to be the Holiday Inn there on the beach for the feast. And they had a, they, that night they'd have a real good band out there. That they had a, a bar and a restaurant that was open air right there on the beach, a nice breeze blowing in, and some nights there was a nice thunderstorm rolling through. So it was a, a neat place to be. So I took Tiffany down there with me probably two or three times down to the bar, got her a Shirley Temple, and I got me a mixed drink of something, hoping to get enough alcohol to dead, deaden the pain a little bit. Never happened. <laughs> there wasn't enough alcohol in there. So eventually I went to a dentist down there, which is not something I wanted to do. That was a bad experience. They, what he did was he, he drilled out the tooth and then he put a, uh, put a filling in it, which is not what you want to do when you've got a bad abscess tooth. But he drilled it out, put a filling in it, and did not even grind the filling down. So I couldn't shut my mouth all the way. <laughs> But I, the only redeeming thing about that experience was, was the painkiller that he gave me. That worked for a little while, and then it wore off. I had to, when we got back to Longview, I had to go have it all torn out and have a root canal, have a crown put on it. Okay, what I'm getting to is the worst, most painful experience I've ever had is, was the feeling of betrayal from others. 
And I guarantee you, as, as bad as those other two hurt, in, including getting burnt, physically burnt, the betrayal was by far the most painful experience I've ever had, or feeling of betrayal. I've, as I've looked back on it over the years, I've recognized that I was probably the biggest part of the problem. But I also very distinctly remember the pain involved. And so, and, and I, I often wonder, you know, if you read the account of Christ's crucifixion and how painful that would have been to be beaten like he was beaten and then have a spear thrust into your side, I wonder if the most painful part was when everyone betrayed him and left him, including Peter and, and the others, and then when Almighty God had to turn his back on him. I suspect maybe that was the most painful. So with that said, we need to make sure that we're watching for people going through pain, you know, emotional pain. Now, I'm, not, I'm not just here to talk to you for a little bit. I'm here to ask you to do something. I'm here to ask you to help heal the brokenhearted. I'm here to ask you to be a friend to those who need a friend. I'm here to ask you to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. So my question is, who can you help bring healing to? And I'm going to pause here for a minute and give you time to write down one or, one or two or three names, who you, can, who you can bring healing to. And I'm not asking you to do anything I haven't already done. I've got, I've got a little post-it note right here that uh, when I was working on this message last night that these are some people I need to address and help. So I'll give you a minute to go ahead and and write down some ideas of who you might be able to bring healing to. You know, the life of Jesus Christ was the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice that he gave. And he tells us in Romans 12 that we are, that we read, I think, the entire chapter last time we were here, that we are to be a living sacrifice. And I would just refer to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, that uh, we also read last time I was here. And I've come to realize that I include this scripture, Philippians 2, in a lot of the messages that I give, and there's a reason. The reason is because it's really important. We all know what the Ten Commandments are, and we probably have a pretty good handle on keeping those Ten Commandments. But this is more more of the heart, and this is something that we're all challenged with every day. In Philippians chapter 2, I'll just uh, read it here real quick. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now verse 4 is one I want to focus on. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. We need to be, that would be a good thing to include in our daily prayer every day is that God gives us a remembrance and, and, and that we reach down and get it within ourselves to always make sure we're not only looking at our own interest, but looking at the interest of others. If the cashier gives you too much change, we need to give it back. I, was, uh, I went through the bank back here 
couple of months ago before the feast, and the teller teller gave me my money. I was getting some cash back, and I pulled up, and you know I usually pull up and open the envelope up and and count it, and I think she gave me an extra hundred dollars, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a hundred dollars. We always need to make sure we give that back, and and. You know, in what other cases? You know, we need to always make sure we're looking out for the well-being of the other person. It's not all about us. We're here to help and serve others. Uh, just a couple. I'll, I'll just uh, refer to two or three scriptures here real quick. First uh, Peter chapter three, verses one through twelve. I'll just read verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 8 through 12. Verse 8 says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted and courteous. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 30. The light of the eyes rejoice the heart, and a good report makes the bones healthy. You know, when we found, find somebody that's, that's downcast, we don't want to go tell them all of our problems and, and how we think they're probably going to die from their sickness that they have. We want to go and be a joy and a light and lift them up. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. A merry heart does good like medicine. But a broken spirit dries the bones. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. We want to be that health. And speaking of edifying, the one scripture that we, that we read, the word edifying means an edifice. It means to build, to design. It's like building a beautiful building. We are to be the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. God wants to dwell in a beautiful edifice in us, and we need to help build others up. Not, not in a phony way, but we should. when it says to edify one another, we should be building one another up in a true sense. We should encourage them. I have a considerable background in architectural drawings, and I've spent thousands and thousands of hours drawing architectural plans. It's not you don't just kind of wipe your hand across the table and there's your plan. It doesn't work like that. Well, it's the same way with people. When we edify people, it's not just a, hi, how you doing? Now, we need to give thought to what they're going through and how we can help them. Give a lot of thought and a lot of prayer and ask God to use us to help them. So we, not, we may not be able to heal everything right now or, or God may, better put, God may not choose to heal others through us of everything, but we also might be surprised what He will use us to do to help bring healing to other people. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Christ is the one that heals. And let's help bring healing to others.